Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our TOSIC Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. I'm happy today to welcome Dr. Eric Klein. Dr. Klein is the chairman of Cleveland Clinic's Glickman Urologic and Kidney Institute and an investigator for the GRAIL trial, and he's here to talk to us about that today. Uh, welcome, Dr. Klein. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Good morning. Excellent. Could you tell us maybe just briefly a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, I've been on the faculty here for a little over 30 years after completing my training here, and uh, my focus is on uh, urologic oncology, particularly prostate cancer. And my side job is to run the Glickman Urological and Kidney Institute. So the GRAIL trial, can you tell us a little bit, what is the GRAIL trial? Yeah, so the original study that we refer to as the GRAIL study is actually called CCGA, the Circulating Cell Genome Atlas. It was a study we completed a little over a year ago, a multi-site study sponsored by a company called GRAIL, using next-generation sequencing to find circulating cell-free DNA in the blood of patients who had cancer and patients who were free of cancer. And out of that study, which was initially both a discovery and a validation study, we were able to develop a methylation-based assay that can detect early-stage cancers across a whole variety of malignancies for which there are no established screening paradigms currently. So from a practical standpoint, what did this look like for patients? Very simple. It was a blood test. Uh, it was it, The initial study was eight tubes of blood in order to be able to do the discovery study. Uh, let me let me frame the context here. We have established screening paradigms for five cancers, cervical cancer, you know, cervical swabbing and cytology, uh, prostate cancer with PSA, colon cancer with cologuard and colonoscopy, breast cancer with mammography, and lung cancer screening for patients at high risk uh, with CT scanning, um, although it's underutilized. But there are a whole lot of other cancers that uh, there are no screening paradigms for that tend to present in late stages and are hard to cure. So uh, Grail's stated purpose is to find cancer early when it's easier to cure, and that was the point of the study. So the original, the CCGA study was 15,000 patients across a number of centers in the U.S. Uh, the discovery phase was to take patients who had known cancers of all stages and see if we could see a signal in the blood using this uh, NGS, next generation sequencing technology. And the answer was we could. We could see, we could find about 70% of stage one to three cancers. And the validation study was then to look at patients both with and without cancer to um, come up with a final test. Initially, we looked at methylation, we looked at whole genome sequencing, and we also looked at targeted mutation sequencing. And what we found was that methylation had the best sensitivity and specificity. So here's the exciting part of this test that we're gonna move forward to in the Pathfinder study, which we'll talk about shortly. It detects 70% of early stage cancers across 50 different malignancies, but for 12 common cancers that account for about 60% of cancer mortality in the United States, and that includes things like liver, uh, GI cancers, ovarian and um, pancreatic cancer, um, plasma cell malignancies, that sort of thing. So it detects a whole set of cancers 
at an earlier stage than we have currently uh, available paradigms. So it won't be perfect. It won't detect all of those cancers. But you know, in the, in the cancer screening realm, if we can detect some of these early stage cancers that we're not detecting now, that's going to be a positive. So that was one important finding. The second important finding, really remarkably, was that this methylation-based assay can predict the tissue of origin or which organ system has the cancer in it if a patient gets a positive signal with more than 90% accuracy. So if you get a positive test back, not only does it suggest you might have cancer, but it can expedite a diagnostic workup by suggesting, hey, you may have kidney cancer or you may have colon cancer, do a CT of the abdomen or get a colonoscopy, that sort of thing. And then the last thing that's really important for patients in developing this kind of screening test is to have a very, very low false positive rate because we cannot be offering a screening test where there are too many false positives. The neat thing about this, uh, this methylation test is that the false positive rate was less than 1%, 0.7%. So that's about seven out of 1,000 patients. So as we move this forward, we're very excited by all of those findings and, and we'll examine how all of them uh, can be used in clinical practice. Yeah, this was certainly a, a big undertaking. And, and so, you know, it's particularly exciting when things like ovarian or pancreatic, which are normally always found at a late stage. So uh, certainly a potential for, for huge benefits. I mean, simply from a logistics standpoint, um, th this was a huge effort. How, how, did, how did we manage to pull this off? We had a great team. I mean, Mikel Sikaris was the co-investigator. Peter Mazzone uh, was part of it. These are people in our cancer center. And um, we had a great team that was actually headed by Wilson Tang and uh, Jennifer Owens uh, oversaw all the study coordinators. We hired uh, a number of coordinators. We sent them out to various sites across our system. And uh, as um, patients walked by and potential participants walked by, they were you know, approached nicely and said, hey, we're doing this study. Would you be interested in uh, participating and uh, work? The team did a great job. We, we accrued uh, more than 1,000 patients in a relatively short period of time, and we were the number one accruing site in the country. And we've uh, likely learned some things that we can use moving forward for other trials, I suspect? So we have, and, and I'm really excited about the next trial, which is called Pathfinder, not only because of the science involved and what we hope to discover, but the way that we are uh, going to run the trial, which is really novel for the Cleveland Clinic. So let me talk about the science about Pathfinder first. Sure. So Pathfinder is the next study to follow up to CCGA. It's a, I think, a six-institution study aimed at uh, occurring 6,200 patients to use this new methylation-based assay, which commercially uh, is going to be called Gallery, G-A-L-L-E-R-I. So we're going to use the Gallery test in patients who have no known active cancer. So this is an intended use population study where we're going to determine how this methylation assay performs in the real world. The eligibility criteria will be 30% uh, of patients who have no risk factors for prostate cancer other than being over aged 50. And 70% of the patients will have one of the following factors for uh, increased risk of prostate cancer, a smoking history of at least 100 cigarettes in their lifetime, a known inherited generic, genetic syndrome like Lynch syndrome or BRCA syndrome, uh, or a, a treatment for an invasive cancer more than three years ago um, with um, you know, presumably no evidence of disease currently. 
So that's who we're targeting. We aim to learn how the test performs in the general population. We aim to learn how patients react both to the idea of this new screening test for cancers. And we want to learn how uh, participants uh, respond to this. And we're also going to study the, the diagnostic algorithm that comes out of it. So as I said before, this test predicts tissue of origin or organ system of origin with high accuracy. So in the Pathfinder study, if a patient comes back with a positive signal, uh, the, the report will, will say signal detected and it will give us the, the likely tissue of origin, uh, probably the top two or three candidates from that. And we're going to have an expert panel that includes radiologists, pathologists, medical oncologists, primary care physicians, and one of our geneticists go over that and uh, come up with what we think is a streamlined diagnostic uh, paradigm to share with the patient's primary care physician and then help the PCP to get the participant through the workup. So we want to see whether or not using a test like this can streamline uh, the diagnosis of cancer. Um, and we're also talking about yet another study to follow this one to be used in the primary care setting with patients who have vague symptoms where the primary care physician might have in the back of her or his mind, hey, this patient might have cancer. If I add this blood test to my initial workup, I might get to an answer more quickly. Anyway, that's the, that's the scientific substance of the study. Is there any potential this could have a role for cancers of unknown primary, for instance? So people we know have a cancer, but we don't know where it's from. Yes, um, I'm sure that it could, um, although I don't think there were many such cancers in the initial discovery study. But yeah, potentially it could, absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. So to operationalize the Pathfinder study, we have decided to become very creative uh, in part because it's a relatively straightforward study. It's not a therapeutic study, and it doesn't require multiple visits to campus by participants. And then also uh, in, in part because of the pandemic. So I, it's probably not the safest thing to do to send study coordinators out to various sites and sit in a public area where there are lots of people uh, walking by, um, some of whom may or may not be masked, some of whom may, may or may not have COVID, uh, that sort of thing. So we decided to uh, do the study virtually. So we have hired fewer coordinators and we're going to keep them on campus. And we're going to advertise this study through Cleveland Clinic channels and the media to the public and ask people who are interested to sign on to a landing page and express their interest. We're gonna give them the opportunity to review the consent form on the webpage. And uh, then we'll have the study coordinators uh, contact them. That is going to keep people safe, first and foremost. Secondly, it's going to give potential participants the opportunity to look over the consent form in the comfort of their own home without the usual anxiety that comes with sitting in a medical center in a small room with someone tapping their pencil, you know, waiting for them to sign the consent form. Uh, it's also, I think, going to be more efficient. The way we did CCGA, we approached many potential participants, most of whom said they were not interested. On the other hand, in this uh, guise of doing it this way, our coordinators are only going to be talking with participants who have expressed interest in the study. And so my guess is that the amount of work necessary for the coordinators to reach our crew goal is going to be a lot less. So once that uh, virtual conversation takes place, 
Another new uh, part of uh, doing clinical trials is that we now are accredited to do DocuSign. And so the consent forms will be able to be sent to the patients electronically. They will sign on and sign the consent form electronically. And assuming they meet the eligibility criteria, there's one last part of the study, which is to ask the participant to go to a local Cleveland Clinic blood draw lab and have the blood drawn. And that is all that's necessary on the participant's part, other than some follow-up questionnaires, which will also be done electronically. And I'm really excited by this. This is the first time we've tried something like this at the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, while it may not be the the best way to do, for example, therapeutic trials that need uh, multiple visits to a center to get treatment and so forth, um, I think this is going to pave the way for us to uh, be innovative in the way we do clinical trials in the future. So I'm really excited about both the scientific part and the operational parts. I mean, that operational part sounds great. I mean, even from the standpoint of a therapeutic trial, being able to do similar things to get patients interested or, you know, not necessarily come here thinking about trials we may have here on main campus and somebody in the region may think about participating and want to do everything kind of up front. That sounds, uh, it sounds like the logistics of what you've set up here sounds like it could potentially be transferable to many, many trials. So that's, that's, uh, that's excellent. I hope that's true. And even for therapeutic trials, uh, as people get comfortable with virtual visits, you might be able to do the, the safety evaluations while someone's on therapy virtually. Taking a, a step back, you mentioned that this, uh, this gallery test that's, uh, is, is that something that's currently available commercially, will be commercially available? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so gallery is this methylation-based assay that detects early stage cancers for a lot of cancers that we don't detect that has a high tissue of origin specificity and a low false positive rate. So it's all the same test. Gallery will be the commercial name for it. It is not yet commercially available. Uh, I believe the company has petitioned or is about to petition FDA for approval. And, you know, that, that process takes some time. So I'm not sure when it will be available. I think we need to get the data from Pathfinder uh, to assure ourselves and everybody that it performs as intended in the intended use population in a, in a healthy population that does not have, you know, known cancer. I think we need that data before we might see widespread adoption. What kind of time frame are we expecting for that? So Pathfinder is already open in a couple of sites across the country, and uh, we are very close to uh, opening it for accrual sometime in the next two weeks. So very, very soon. So we should have some information sooner than later. Yes. And the, the accrual period is, is very short. Uh, we hope to have it uh, completely accrued, 6,200 patients across all the sites by the, end, by the end of the year. So I would hope that we would have some results uh, you know, by the middle part of next year. What's next? Are there other uh, other similar things in terms of tests that are uh, being developed, or where do you think this might go next? Well, there are some other companies that are working on um, similar kinds of tests. There's a group that started at Johns Hopkins that has marketed a test called, or is about to market a test called Thrive, which does something similar, uses slightly different technology that includes some uh, protein assays uh, as well as some genomic assays. And there was just a very interesting study from China called PANSEER, P-A-N-S-E-E-R, where they used a methylation-based test, same technology and same kind of underlying biology as uh, the, the, the CCGA and gallery and so forth. 
And what they were able to find remarkably in uh, kind of a retrospective cohort was that they could detect using this methylation assay, the presence of cell-free circulating DNA up to four years prior to clinical presentation of cancer. And most of those were GI cancers. And uh, that's pretty remarkable. It tells you what the what the predictive, the time predictive value of a test like this is. So one of the interesting things out of CCGA was that we had, I think in the initial pass, I think we had eight patients who were not known to have cancer, eight participants rather, who were not known to have cancer, who had a positive signal. And uh, within a couple of months, five of them actually were diagnosed with uh, invasive cancers of various organ systems. And the predicted tissue of origin, I think, was correct in all five. So there's a lot to be learned about this sort of technology. And one of the interesting questions that we haven't answered yet is, if you have a negative test, no signal detected, you know, how long does that mean that you're cancer-free? Right? How, how certain are you that you're can- not cancer that you're cancer free on the day you have the test? But you know, is there some time prediction there, some negative predictive value that says you're going to be fine for the next year or two or three? We don't know the answer to that yet. In the CCGA study, we're following all the participants for five years to help determine that. At Pathfinder, we will follow everybody for a year to help determine that. But here's a big important message: is that this test is not meant to replace the standard screening test that I talked about at the very beginning. This is going to supplement our existing cancer screening armamentarium. This will not replace them. So one clear message that we want to get to everybody who might be listening and to our participants is that even if you have a negative test, if you participate in Pathfinder, that does not mean you should skip your uh, colonoscopy or your mammography or, or whatever else your primary care physician uh, recommends. Yeah, I mean, we could certainly do a lot better in terms of getting screening rates to a, a higher level. Do you think that maybe tests like this that sort of capture people's imagination uh, might help with other screening efforts? I, I certainly hope so. I mean, a blood test is far simpler than a colonoscopy prep um, and pleasanter than some of the other things that we do. So, yeah, I hope so. I think the field is going to evolve in an interesting way over the next five to ten years. And uh, it's possible that blood-based or other liquid biopsy tests will displace um, some of the more standard screening protocols that we use. Having said that, again, I want to be very clear that we um, are not suggesting that this test replaces any current screening test. That's really important for people to understand. We just need more information and more long-term follow-up before we could even consider something like that. And it sounds like part of the long-term follow-up, you mentioned you don't know how long this is sort of predictive for. So maybe we can imagine that every two or five years or something, people might need to do this test. Correct. Something like that. And, and that, remains, you know, that remains to be determined what the correct interval is and really what the time-related negative predictive value of a test like this. Because just because you're negative today doesn't mean you could not get a cancer in two or three years. Well, this is, uh, has all been really fascinating and really points to uh, some important work that's going on for screening. And, you know, we spend so much time and energy trying to, to treat late stage disease, but certainly we can make a, a big impact by finding it early. So this is a, a really important step toward that. Any last comments? Just to, just to uh, again, reiterate the team's excitement for this, not only from the scientific standpoint, but I hope we're going to establish a new operational paradigm that can be rolled out to doing uh, other um, other trials 
Um, this, uh, let me just say also that this, this approach isn't unique to us. There are other centers who have done something similar with similar sorts of technology. So I, I don't have any doubt that this will be successful, but I'm excited about it nonetheless. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. All right. A pleasure. Thank you, Dale. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.